Hi everyone, welcome to the In The Frame podcast. I'm Luke, uh, this is Pip, or this is Pip, and today we are with Lewis Arnold. Uh, he is a working director in television and filmmaking, best known for his work on Humans, Broadchurch and Banana. Hi, hi Lewis, how are you doing? I'm all right, how are you like? You're all good? Yeah, great. Good, bit of a rainy day here in England today, but it's, it's getting there, it's getting there. Yeah. yeah, it's just started hammering it down here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's good, a good time to be inside on Zoom. Good time to be in time on Zoom. What what you've been up to over the past uh, lockdown? Uh, I've just been finishing a new show, so I've been working on uh, a three part drama for ITV called Des, which we um, we started a few years ago, me and my friend. And you know, when lockdown happened, we were in post, so we've done everything remotely, mm. and we're at the point now where we. I'm looking over here because, ironically, the grade um, the, the grade is still going on. Oh. So um, yeah, we we're grading and just about to start mixing. So. Um, yeah, it's really interesting doing it. It's, it's ama- technology is amazing how you can do all these things so easily remotely now. Mm. Um, but I do miss the uh, the connective sort of being with the team in the room. But uh, but it's amazing, you know, what you can do with with technology. But yeah, yeah. so we're finishing that, which and it comes out. I think it comes out in the autumn on ITV One. It's with David Tennant, uh, Daniel Mays, and Jason Watkins, and it's based around um, the real crimes of serial killer Dennis Nielsen. And, Kind of uh, looks at how he got away with his, you know, he committed crimes over a five-year period, and it kind of explores how this man got away with doing it for for five years, uh, you know, under the noses of the authorities and his friends, and uh, yeah, it, and it's you know, it's a dark but um, hopefully interesting drama with some superb performances at the the heart of it. Sounds amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Sounds like a great great thing coming out, and it's amazing that you get to work on the uh, behind the scene, the behind the scenes, the uh, the. Their post-production during lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, as a director, you go through everything. Yeah, um, and this has been great because uh, me and me and my friend, obviously, we've been on it for six years now, coming up to, um, and it's you know gone through many iterations as we've been working through it uh, and been with various people and companies. And but it's great to sort of see it through to the very end. So um, mm. yeah, it's kind of really rewarding to just get it to this point, regardless of how well it does or how badly it does. It's kind of quite a satisfying thing to sort of see something through for so long. And mm. yeah, so it's, it's great, yeah. Fantastic. Well, we wanted to talk to you today about directing and how you got into directing. Uh, and short films seems to be the really obvious route that people start, start making films. You're always encouraged to make short films when you're starting out. I've made a whole bunch of, Short films, some of them being some of them terrible, some of them good. You know, all of them kind of in that kind of starting out range. Um, is this a good place to start? What do, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think short films are the only way that you can express your voice as a filmmaker. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is you, it's more about the stories that you want to tell and how you want to tell them. There are many ways to. Uh, you know, you could give the same script to seven different filmmakers and they will all make a completely different film mm. because they all have a unique voice and they see the world through a different lens. So I think short films are a very good way of expressing to people your, um, your voice, how you see the world and how you want to make films. But they're more than that. They're also a vehicle in which you can learn your craft. So, you know, as you said, there's some that you're really proud of and some that you, you're not, that weren't so successful. And I think every short film I've made, you learn something from, but the ones that were terrible that I'm really ashamed of are the ones where I grew the most as a filmmaker. So short mm. films are also a, a, a training ground in some ways. You know, there are lots of filmmakers now that don't go to film school or go to university and they just make shorts. And that's kind of what you do at university, really, or at film school, is you're really just making 
shorts. But the difference at film school is you you get uh, tutors who sort of see you through that and give you advice and uh, help you in making better material and 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 I suppose interrogate yourself and your material more because that's the thing that I suppose any educational system does. You have someone who you're answering to who's interrogating your work and what we have to learn as directors is to interrogate our own work so we're constantly asking is this the right decision is this is this right for this story um but yeah I don't, you know short films are so crucial you know in terms of developing a voice as a filmmaker and developing your craft but also i think you know um short films are also a great way to tell stories there are so many mm. we're in a we're in a world now i think where uh format dictates sorry story dictates format it used to be that you know you would write a story for the you'd write right i need something for on television so i'm going to write this or i'm going to i need something for the cinema and i need so i'm going to write a film i think nowadays people kind of come up with ideas and it's like well where is this best place is this a web series mm. is it a short film is it a feature film is it a long form tv series so i think we're in a place now where story dictates format more than it used to i think when i was younger um so that's really exciting and you know there's many projects i've got where you know short film is short form is is more appropriate for uh for the material so and then the the, the final thing to say about shorts sorry is a lot of waffle but uh <laughs> right. you know shorts are also a really great way to 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 test so there's lots of filmmakers who have probably got development money at the bfi and they might do a short film to show the financiers the tone and it might be you know a short based on and the, the the perfect example of this although it wasn't done for this reason is is paul andrew williams who's a director i really admire who, who did broadchurch but he was a, a feature filmmaker first and he did a, a great film called london to brighton which i watched when i was at university yeah. and the film that accompanied that was one called royalty that he made on his on his own steam with some sort of finance uh, small finance which is basically it's a precursor to, to london to brighton but he never intended it to be that but you can watch royalty and you can go, oh, okay, I can see how London to Brighton is going to work as a film because mm. royalty is kind of the same tone in terms of the way he captures it and the, the lens that he sees that world through. So I think short films also are a great way to show a longer form version in a sort of teaser mm. way, basically. If you're trying to sell something that has a bold vision, a short film can say, look, this is how this is going to work. Um, so yeah, I think short films are phenomenal for many reasons and I don't think they'll ever go away. I don't think short film festivals will ever disappear. I think they might change and we might have more online based short film festivals. Mm. Um, but I think that short films are a necessity in terms of the craft of directing and filmmaking. Yeah. I remember that was a long way to answer your question. <laughs> I apologize. It was a great, it was a great answer. I remember, uh, hearing that the Saw series was based off a short film that was first done. And they took that short film, which I think was like the first scene of the film. And then they expanded that into the full feature film. And I think... Oh, wow. I never knew that. Yeah. And there's another, there another good example as well that I can't remember the name of. But it's just like, it's a good place to start if you have a big concept idea. Do like a do like a 15-minute short film and then you can grow that into a feature film. I think they work really well when the short film e exists. I, when they don't work as well for me is when it does feel like it's a teaser for a feature. When they mm. work really well when the film, the short film could exist on its own yeah. and i think the, the thing you have to do is almost separate yourself from the story of the feature and take the characters and the themes and explore that visually in the world of the feature but not just take a scene or you know that the problem is a lot of young filmmakers when i read scripts of, of shorts is they just take a scene from the feature and it's like it, it doesn't quite work as a standalone film yeah. you know a short should have a beginning a middle and an end in some ways 
and feel complete, even if the ending isn't complete. And that's the point of it. It should still feel like a complete film. Um, but yeah, but they're, they're invaluable. That's, that's brilliant. Thanks. Liz. I mean, I think, yeah, we have a lot of people who ask that question, you know, a short still valid. And I think that was a fantastic answer that actually, they, particularly I think around the idea of developing your voice, that's so important um, that people are well, finding I think it's that. Be- I think it's become an issue. Sorry, Pip. I think it's become an issue because it's easier to make a feature film. Mm. So some people are looking at it going, well, why make a short film when I can just probably for the same money make a feature? And I think it's the other thing, the part of the craft is it's to tell story over longer, a longer period is difficult. It's really difficult the longer it gets, you know, and you jump from even just, you know, like jumping from shorts to then 45 minutes in TV. But even the big jump that I noticed is when you go from doing 45 minutes of a commercial channel to doing a BBC hour. And you can notice it when you watch things like Sherlock or you watch, you know, something similar on ITV. Sherlock has the middle act is, is always, it's, there's always, you're almost having to re give it a lift because you know it's a long time that sort of 60 minute slot is a difficult thing to sort of navigate you know mm. in terms of writing and directing in terms of keeping the audience engaged enough twists and turns so i think actually it is that thing of craft and that's why shorts are great because you learn your craft and then you move on to a longer format and you know when i when i grew up in film you know you we were always pushed to do 10 minutes and then when i went to film school it was like actually if you want to go towards the 25 minute 30 minute mark it's fine because you're trying to build up your sense of telling story over a longer format which is an you know it is a tricky thing and it's not as simple as well it's just more time it's more scenes it's no there's you've got to navigate the tone the energy the pace it's it's a different beast absolutely yeah absolutely um did you always want to be a director was is is that been your kind of solid sort of journey or has it kind of weaved no, I, yeah, it, I rubbed the idea off my one of my best friends when we were growing up, and he'd always wanted to be a director from the age of 10 or even younger. And I was kind of like, if you remember Dawson's Creek, I was kind of pacey. I kind of helped him. He was Dawson and I was pacey, and I had to help him with all his films. And, uh, you know, when you make films with someone, it doesn't take long for the, the bug to wear off on you and uh, the rush that he gets from making films, you know, to pass on to you. And so I kind of stole the idea off, off my best friend um, when we were sort of about 15 and then, yeah. And then, and then went to college and didn't, didn't study to particularly be a director. Um, I didn't really see it as an, as an ascertainable career. I didn't really know anybody that did it. Uh, there was no one in my family or immediate sort of circle of friends and family that worked in the media. So, um, so no, I, I t- trained to be a graphic designer whilst making films as a hobby and over college, you know, continually making films, I came across a brochure for the University of Gloucestershire where um, there was a practical video production course. And that's kind of where I started to realize, oh, if there's a course that you can do, clearly there's, you know, uh, there's career opportunities, mm. you know, the other side of this. So, so yeah, so no, it, it, and then from then, from sort of the age of sort of 17, 17, 18, 18, it became, that became the sole, sole focus, the sole goal um and yeah and then and then spent you know the next however many years chasing that as a as an ambition um because it takes time to to build your voice to understand the craft and and to get breaks and to you know to to meet people and network and and build those things it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight yeah absolutely and so now skipping forwards we know you from uh shows such as banana humans broadchurch and dark monkey uh, I have. I was looking over your IMDb and saw the episodes you you did on humans, and you did some incredible work on on, on the episodes you did. 
the two you did the first two episodes of season two which I remember being an absolutely incredible start to the season and to how it all came together and so how did you jump from university to being on tv and what is tv directing like as a whole well firstly thank you for the comment so i got, I got a confession i was really blessed with great scripts first and foremost mm-hmm. so it's not you know it's not just it's not me in a, in a way that's that's um i was very with humans i sort of landed some great material with, mm-hmm. you know which isn't always the case when you go on to a show but uh it, you know so I, I felt blessed that i got really strong scripts from sam and john who are two superb mm-hmm. writers but um but no it was a long it was a long journey so I, I graduated university and i had that thing that i think all students go through and if there's students who are just graduating or have been graduated a year or so who are, who are thinking about this or even just people that are about to go to university you know the big challenge that i think every filmmaker faces coming out of university is you know how do you earn money how do you pay your bills how do you sustain mm-hmm. your life whilst chasing your dream of being a director or a cinematographer or whatever it is you want to do because very few people come out of university at 21, 22 and become a director or become a cinematographer. Um, and, and that's the big challenge and, and something that I you know, struggled with for years. And I'm from Birmingham. So when I came out, I went back to Birmingham and decided that I'd live with my mom and dad. And, and um, because I, you know, I could then save money on rent um, and I was very fortunate my mom and dad let me come home. Uh, and went home and basically I did various jobs, various running jobs. I ran on BBC Doctors and all sorts uh, and realized very, and, and, and tried to build up a network uh, whilst also applying for funding with the screen agencies at the time, which was Screen West Midlands. Now, I suppose you would go to the BFI and Creative England. Back then it was mm-hmm. um, Screen West Midlands. I mean, now you can crowdfund, which was just something that wasn't available to me back then. Um, and we made a couple of films via the screen agency. And at the same time I was doing that, I... Uh, I decided that I didn't want to run full time and for a, for a big TV series because I felt that running was pulling me further away. And, and you know, if, to be a good runner, which I wanted to be, and I think you have to take every job that you do in this industry and give it your all. You mm. know, you have no energy left on the weekend and in the evenings because you're up at five, you home at sort of nine o'clock in the evening, and then you go to bed and you're up again doing it again. And that's Monday to Friday, and then the weekends you're just exhausted. Um, so I decided very quickly that, I'd pref- and also that you know, you're not directing. So I decided that I would earn very little money and work for a company where I would direct their corporate videos, a brilliant company, very supportive, who would allow me and my friend who was a producer to run and make their stuff. You know, it's not stuff that was getting massive global, you know, coverage by any means, corporate videos, internal stuff, um, and but be directing and earn very little money, which I could do because I was living at home and, uh, and then make my short films as well. Uh, than basically earn money working as a runner or whatever. So, and that was a that was a choice I was fortunate to make because I lived at home. Um, and then eventually, when I moved to London, I kind of fell into first assistant directing uh, and did a lot of first assistant directing um, for a while. Uh, and that became a way that I paid my bills while I was in London. But I mean, the big thing for me was I I had a feature film off the back of one of my shorts. I developed a feature film from the, the short in the same way I was talking earlier. We knew we wanted to make a feature film about this subject. We decided we'd make a short about it. We found a writer who had experienced that world. It was about a prison officer and um, he'd wrote a book and we were introduced to him via a mutual friend and uh, a mentor of mine, Jeff Thompson. And we worked on a film and then we, had, we were developing the feature and while we were waiting for funding to come through to option the book, they raised the money for the film and uh, within a month of them actually, the writer and the co-writer raising the money via private firms in London. 
we yeah we were kicked off the film which was absolutely devastating you know it's 25 mm-hmm. and first thing a lot and uh yeah and i'd been on this film and wanted to do this for years even before i'd met this writer and Mm. felt very lost at that time and felt that I could easily lose sight of directing and end up becoming uh, a first assistant director full-time, which wasn't ever really my ambition, and I was losing sight of directing. And the only reason first assistant was great was because I knew in the back of my head that I was also got these things in development and was still going to direct. And so first thing was a joy, really. But then when that all disappeared, you know, I started to become quite... um, worried that i was never going to make it and i think across my whole career i was driven by this fear of failure this idea that i'd given up so much and wanted to be a director so much i was so nervous of never accomplishing that 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 dream and letting people down that believed in me and and supported me including my family um and yeah and then so i was very lost and then that was when i decided to go to the nfts Uh, i went i knew about the nfts i went and looked around and it just felt right and i ended up going to the nfts and after that, I came out and got an agent. And, you know, from there, my agent helped me secure various bits of television work. So, uh, but, you know, it was a long journey and there was lots of other setbacks and things that happened. But, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the short overview, if that makes sense. Sorry, I feel like I just went up on a massive tangent and gave you my life. <laughs> um, what, I mean, what kept you going through all of that? I mean, it's, in a way, it's great to hear. Obviously, it wouldn't have been great to have lived it in some ways. But that's, you know... You mentioned earlier before we kind of came on air this dogged determination that seems to have to be there. Was that something that you were learning? Yeah, I, I think there was a couple of things. I, I mean, I think first of all, anyone that wants to direct that really wants to direct, you know, and you meet a lot of young filmmakers and you see it. But I think you know, like once you want to direct, if you're going, some people just can't let it go. Like it's just not because it's such a drug. That, you know, the art of creating and making and being a part of that that world is such a drug that it's hard to let go of it. So I think I didn't see any other, there's nothing else in I could see myself doing. There's nothing else I wanted to do. Um, and I think there was that, yeah, that determination that I got to try and make it work. I, I mean, I do remember at the point that I went to the NFTS, you know, I was like, you know, you do think God is this ever, you know, you have those questions all the time. You question yourself all the time. Like, is this going to happen for me? Like, am I going to, am I going to find some form of success? Is there ever going to, and I think the other thing to bear in mind is any little break or any little thing that does happen for you, that's a positive when it happens to you. And I speak to a lot of people about this, even however big you get, I think whenever you've had a success, you don't see what you've achieved. You just see where you're trying to get to. So you don't ever acknowledge. And I think actually, you know, directors, and I, I do this more now because I talk to lots of filmmakers, you know, you have to acknowledge each other's successes and remind each other. Yeah. You know, cause as, you know, we all kind of get down on ourselves about things and it's about reminding each other. Yeah. But you remember there's lots of people that want to be where you are, no matter where you are on the ladder, there are lots of people down starting out or whatever that would love to be where you are. And you lose sight of that because we're all chasing ambition, our ambitious, you know, our, our, our goals. Um, but I think, yeah, it was determination, but I think the determination came from this fact that I didn't want to fail. Uh, I didn't see myself doing anything else, you know, um, I was just desperate to be, you know, like it was all I knew and all I wanted to be and all I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I knew that I wouldn't be happy if I you know, packed it in and became anything else, even if I was a first, like I wouldn't have been happy as a first. I loved firsting, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And 
I would have found over time, I think I would have become bitter in the sense of I was watching lots of directors get into direct and I wasn't directing, which was fine when I had stuff in development. But so I, I just knew that I had to be that person uh, and wanted to create and tell stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it, look, I mean, everybody has obstacles to overcome. And I think the other thing is, you know, like, yeah, it, it, I don't know if I've answered the question, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it, it everyone kind of comes up against things and rejection, and those things. And, you know, that was it. The other thing that I wanted to say, the other element of this was that Jeff Thompson always said to me, Jeff Thompson is a, a martial artist and a writer. Uh, yeah, I know for, Jeff. Yeah. And Jeff, uh, I was very fortunate that Jeff, uh, I met Jeff when I graduated from university through a, a filmmaker in Birmingham and, and Jeff kind of took me under his wing and would email me and speak to me on the phone. And he really helped me and, and mentored me, you know, up until I went to the film school and, and a little bit beyond and um, Jeff said to me one day, he said, you know, every day you wake up and you're still chasing that, that goal and you're still in the, the race. Somebody quit. And so you're what you're still in it. And he said, and if you can stay in it for as long as possible and keep working and keep creating opportunities, even if it feels like you're not getting anywhere, people are dropping, people will drop away. The people that really aren't that hungry for it will drop away mm. and you'll be left in a smaller pool and the opportunities you're creating will eventually start to pay off. And when he said that, it kind of made sense that, you know, if you really believe in something and you can keep yourself in the race for as long as you can, because obviously other things play in finances and family and things, um, you know, uh, then you've got more chance of succeeding. If you, but you have to create the opportunities alongside staying. You can't just stay in it. You've got to keep working and creating opportunities. And I think that stuck with me when things got tough. It was like every, when things got tough, I would always say to myself, if I can just keep going, the t this period will pass. And if I can keep creating opportunities, hopefully I'll be unlocking and opening. Doors will open, basically. That's brilliant. I mean, bringing it kind of up to up to now, you obviously has been said, you know, you, you've done some fantastic work, um, you know, over the last few years and great opportunities. Doing the the project now with, with David Tennant, Des, that's something that you've been, as you said, you've been developing with your friend for six years. Where do you see yourself now with that project coming coming to the fore? Uh, in terms of where do I see myself in my career? Yeah, which or, I think just yeah, I think in terms of that kind of pursuing pursuing your goals. I know I know you won't oh, I mean, see yourself as having ultimately got there, but I think is is there a is is the beginning of a sense of oh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling good about this. I feel like I have. I have <laughs> no, I mean the the truth is no. I mean, um, I think no. I mean, I'm quite. I, I'm quite. My wife has a go at me quite a lot because I'm quite um, I'm quite a negative person. It's easy to be negative, I think. In terms of myself, my, myself and my own career, I can be quite negative. And I'm one of those people that I say, like, I, I don't often take stock and go, yeah, but I'm directing and, you know, I kind of always looking, you know, where I want to be, um, which has its benefits, but it has its negatives, which is, you know, more so since I've had a family, the do, you know, do I stop and take stock and, and, uh, and try and, enjoy what's going on and what's happening more than I used to as a younger filmmaker. Um, you know, cause I think you have to enjoy your successes, however small or big they are, but that, that, you know, it took me having a family to sort of start to do that and to slow down a little bit in that sense. But I mean, I feel very lucky and very privileged in, in where I'm positioned in terms of the fact that I am directing and I am making work. Uh, so I feel very lucky. I feel very blessed that I've been supported uh, along my journey by incredible, uh, 
producers, exec producers, um, mm. you know, and other people in the industry and, and my own friends and family. So I feel very lucky and blessed that I've had that support where I've got to. Um, but I still see my end goal has been quite a long way away. So whilst I, I do try and take more stock now and be grateful of where I am, uh, yeah, I do feel, I do feel quite, quite far away still, if that makes sense. It's that, th- it's that thing I said, I think any filmmaker, you're always looking at the grass on the, you know, and I think in this industry, there is that kind of, someone said it to me yesterday, they said it, they, they had a really great phrase for it, where you're very uh, happy for your peers, but you're also envious. It's like, and even my closest friends who are directors, if they get a real success, I'll send them a text and be like, you know, I'm 80% proud of you and I'm 20% jealous. Like, <laughs> but that jealousy, I think you have to go, you have to acknowledge it and go, it is what it is. It's not, mm. I don't wish them not the success, but that jealousy spurs you on to continue achieving. I think with me, it does. I try and use it as a positive, you know, be happy for people, but then go, right. If that's happened for them, then I need to keep working harder because mm. hopefully there's something I can do about, you know, creating an opportunity for myself or, you know, mm. competitively supportive, I think, isn't it? It's like- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's like, he said it like, and, competitive enviness or envy yeah. or something yeah. it was, the way you phrased it was great yeah, but, yeah. Uh, i think it's a natural thing that we try and pretend we're not but you know i think um we all we all would love to be doing what some other directors are doing because there's only one the job as a director on something there's only so many jobs you know on a show for example there's only sometimes a couple of blocks and you know we all can't direct it and uh yeah so of course you sort of go oh, that'd be great to do but it's about sort of being proud and happy for the people that are getting it that you know, but then also acknowledging the jealousy and going, right, I'm going to use this and I'm going to work hard to find an opportunity for something, you know. But then you never, when people tell you, oh God, I'm, I wish I was doing the thing you're doing, you never go, that's the thing I think that directors need to tell us. Sometimes you go, oh yeah, okay. Whereas now I try to be more like, yeah, no, I'm really lucky to be doing this. Whereas I think before, like, oh, okay, well, you know, because it was work and you want to do the best thing and you always worry about creating work that, you know, people enjoy or, respond with testing i feel like this is a i feel like this is like a um therapy lesson for me. <laughs> therapy, therapy. tell us how you feel <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah uh and so i really i love the phrase that you said earlier which is like uh this drug of creativity of kind of creating stuff because it is kind of what it feels like when you're a filmmaker you just have the urge to create and to make things and to kind of build things together and it feels like with the adaptation of things like TikTok and YouTube, that so many people who wouldn't consider themselves filmmakers are now all getting onto the drug of creativity and are like creating things every day. And so what would your advice be for filmmakers who are trying to craft their identity and craft uh, to start, start making things that are longer than 10 seconds? I mean, I think it's the, the sage old advice of you have to make, mm. um, there comes a point, I think, where I mean, so like, it's nothing that you they, it's nothing that people won't have heard before. I think you know the only way you can um, you can have success and build a voice is to make things. Mm. I think the key thing is there are two things you can make. There are things you should be making all the time that aren't necessarily for distribution. They aren't things that you're going to put online. They aren't things that you're going to put on your showreel. But you're making stuff to try things out to uh, improve your voice to try working in a different way to explore, you know, what you like and don't like in terms of your filmmaking practice. You know, I think don't be afraid that everything you make has to be that thing that you put online and show. And I think that we're in a culture where 
everything we film, everything we do now goes on Twitter. It goes on mm. Instagram. It goes on TikTok or whatever you use. It's distributed and it's like, you have to be still careful that everything you put up represents your voice as a filmmaker. So you should be still making stuff. But if you make something and you're not proud of it, but you learn something from it, it's okay to not put that, not distribute that. You know, I made a film, uh, my first year film at film school uh, was a bit of a disaster. And I don't think anyone's ever seen it other than the people that in film school, because we have to show at every stage, you have to show your peers and get feedback from everybody. And it's quite a humbling and brutal process to go through. And that's what's great about film school. But, you know, but that film, I learned so much from that film that I was then to put into practice in my next films. Um, you know, so I think there's that film and then there's the making the films where you're like, you get funding or whatever. And it's, it, you know, you, you try and make something for distribution, but even then don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid. You'll learn more from your failings and you will, your successes, I, I believe. Um, but it's about making, you know, I think there's lots of opportunities. It's about being really switched on to, to opportunities. There's lots of opportunities to make things, you know, um, there's radar music video where you can get pitches for, small budgets for music videos and you know where you're pitching and a lot of pitching really useful things and practice to get into um there are there are lots of ways to make things with you know uh with minor finance um but i think making is really important um but it doesn't mean that you need a big cv if i've made all these things if 10 of them you made in your home as a way of you know that's that's not what it is it's about making stuff that you think represents you, but then also making stuff that is you honing and learning the craft, which is kind of what you do at university through exercises or whatever. But if you don't go that route, you can still make stuff that, you know, you can be proud of. And then I think the other thing is when you're a young filmmaker coming out of university, I think it's surround yourself with a really strong team, mm. um, you know, push for the sort of strongest team you can get in terms of, um, in terms of the, the stuff you're trying to make, because as a director, you're working. Oh. Uh, Lewis, you were talking about uh, you were talking about building a team around you and having uh, the support. At yeah, it's funny because I was also saying how amazing technology is, and then <laughs> here we are looking <laughs> back up. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just a point about, um, you know, that it's important to, yes, casting is a massive thing for a director in terms of getting the cast, mm. but also, you know, you can't forget about actually, it's really important as a director that you cast the right team around you as well. And I was mm. saying that, uh, you know, for example, a DOP, you know, you usually are quite like to be quite loyal to the team, but also you have to check that they're interested in telling this story. You don't want a craftsman who's just there just to, to capture it. You want people that are really invested in the stories you're trying to tell. Um, so, you know, I always make sure that I send the material to a DOP and talk to them before, you know, they come on board because, you know, sometimes, you know, the Mark Wolf who I've just worked with on the last two occasions, whilst I'd love to work with a lot of the DOPs on every job, some of them might not necessarily connect with what you're doing as well as somebody else. And it's better to have a team that connect with the story of, that you're trying to tell than mm. people that you, you know, you like and want to work with because you'll inevitably work with those people again when the projects are right. So I think it is important to cast the right team as much as it is, you know, cast the right actors. And I think sometimes we forget that as young filmmakers and we just get our friends in and, but actually you want people that are really invested in the story and understand the story mm. um, because that's, you're going to get more out of it and they're going to be able to, bring stuff to the party that is relevant to the story you're, you're trying to tell. 
I think that's kind of what I was saying roughly. And mm-hmm. on that on that note, Lewis, very quickly, because obviously you hear from a lot of a lot of filmmakers that are starting out, they're often, you know, money's always an issue. Trying to get money to make films is a really big issue. And often their network is not that broad, trying to you're having access to people and often that's why people say going to university or film school is such a great thing because you 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 obviously are then surrounded by other people that want to do the same things that you do in terms of making films but but for those that struggle any tips on how you can you know when you are starting out or in the early days where you've got quite big limitations how you develop that network so you can have those sorts of choices to get the right people involved in a project yeah i mean i think the thing is uh I think the first thing is, and, and you know, it's amazing how few, you know, I, I do a little bit of teaching occasionally at the University of Gloucestershire, um, where, which is where I went. And a couple of years ago, I did a, a short form module where we, me and another tutor there, Mike, took, you know, the, the year group, I think it's like 100 a year. And there was about 75 of them, I think, that took this module and they got to make like a piece of short form and it, you know, it could be two minutes. And before they started that process, we did a series of lectures every week we took it in turns and i did one on commercials one on music videos and i think mike did one on short films and we and essentially we were looking at short form and i was surprised at how little the students knew about the work and the things that are out there how many of them had never know you know didn't know about people like michael gondry and didn't know about spike jones in terms of their commercial work and they hadn't seen the kind of commercials that defined commercials and and commercial directing they didn't know about Ridley Scott's you know and the same with music video directors and the same with short films and it's something I remember that when I was at university you watch all the big movies all of the artistic movies all the Oscar and BAFTA nominated films you watch all that and you think that you're connected but really there's a whole world of short form stuff that's been made music videos particularly by people around the same not you know not that many years ahead of, of emerging filmmakers and I think there's something about watching that work where you're watching like and for me it was going the, the baptism of fire was me and my producer drove all the way to clement ferrand and, and went to the short film festival there and watched you know over three days watched you know all of the films there and were blown away by the quality of the films coming out of new zealand and australia and all these films from around the world and that kind of started to make you go oh, okay but the great thing about being aware of the short form work that's being made you know, in London, in wherever, in Bristol, wherever, and keeping a touch on commercials and music videos is the kind of DOPs and crew that work on that. Well, one, if they're working regularly, they're earning good money. But two, they're interested in making and their schedules are quite, you know, they're working and then they might get a week or two off. So if you're aware of that and you start approaching a DOP whose commercial work you like and they've got a couple of days free, and they've just done a big commercial, they're more likely to come on board your short and do something with you if they feel that they like the story that you're trying to tell. But it really surprised me how many younger filmmakers aren't aware or don't follow, aren't part of watching stuff like, you know, Promo News, which is the music video website. Dave, there's a thing called Dave's Reviews where he reviews commercials. There's all these other pockets of video and creative work being made. I think you have to have your fingers on the pulse when you're a filmmaker. And those kind of people you know, are accessible to a certain degree. But I think it's about, I always say to all my students, like aim high, like what's the worst that can happen is these people can say no. But what you might find is some of these people say, I can't do it, but if they like the project, they might go, but you should speak to this person or this person. That happens quite a lot in this industry that actually I think Mm. there's a perception that it's not, that uh, filmmakers and collaborators are very supportive of each other. 
And so if you're reaching for, for people that, you know, you might feel, and it's the same with actors, you know, if an actor likes the part and the script and you could sell it to them, if they're free, they might do it. But the worst they can do is say no. And I think you've got to go in with that confidence. That means you have to be really prepared. You have to know the film you're trying to make. You have to work very hard on the script and done multiple drafts to get that script as tight as you can get it in terms of what it's about. You know, you might want to do a bit of a little presentation or, or um, a treatment, a visual treatment, so they can really visualize the kind of style of the film you're trying to make. Uh, and I think once you've got a little pack together, there's nothing stopping you going and, and being brave. But to do that, you have to know who are the people working out there? And that's the thing missing. That's the thing I found with the students was not just the directors and then Michael Gondry, but, you know, directors that, you know, young filmmakers like that are working in commercials like Sam Pilling and, you know, as well as the Dougal Wilsons of the world, like they, you know, those guys, if you go to those and say who, you know, any DOPs that you recommend, they've got access to all this stuff and, but they don't know who those people are yet because, you know, they haven't maybe explored a wider field than the big feature films of where they want to get to in their careers. But and it was the same for me. Look, I mean, I'm, I, I'm only saying that cause that's, I was one of those people that was quite ignorant beyond the movies uh, that I wanted to make beyond that. You know, I didn't really know much about commercials and music videos until I graduated and you start looking into all that stuff and meeting and following those people's work. But it's easier to do that now because of social media. It's easy to follow your favorite DOPs or to see something you like. If you see a commercial, you're like, oh, that was beautiful. To Google that, find the DOP, find the director and follow them on, on Instagram and Twitter. It's easier to be connected to those people's careers now. Mm. I don't Very know if awesome. that helped. I don't know if that was a, a good answer. No, it's really question, helpful. But, um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we're coming up to a, a close now. Thank you so much for coming along and dealing with all our technical issues. And uh, it's been such a great conversation and just amazing to hear you talk about short form and your journey and, and how you've gotten from uh, starting out into to being the big director that you are now. And so yeah, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm a director, <laughs> but... huge director, a, a jobbing director, yeah, a <laughs> working director. Exactly. Uh, and um, so what's, so what's coming up for you next? Uh, finishing Des, so that's going to be out in the autumn on ITV, as I said at the start, and then uh, uh, numerous projects in various stages of development. Um, and then hopefully when the industry picks up again, you know, um, mm. I'll start to read some scripts and, and, and some other projects to see what's out there. But, um, but yeah, I'm keen to, to obviously make a, a, my first film at some point and mm. working on a couple of things at the moment. One I'm really excited about, a, a writer called Amelia Spencer, who's, who's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think all these things, it's you, as you're learning the industry, mm. you know, people watching, I, I suppose you have to have so many, you know, so many fingers in so many pies and if that makes sense, or so many eggs in so many baskets is the analogy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're waiting, you feel like you're often waiting for one to, to, to become, a, you know, an, opp an actual opportunity instead of an investment of time and love. And also when you get a rejection, then from if one of them doesn't happen or rejects, you know, you've got other, other irons in the fire, you know, so mm. there's lots of things I've, I'm spinning lots of plates. I've just used about four analogies to describe this, <laughs> but uh, I'm spinning lots of plates and hoping that, you know, something comes off, but, um, but you have to keep, you know, you have to keep finding new opportunities and developing new things and meeting new people. So there's a lot of that going on at the moment, but nothing concrete mm. beyond delivering dares. There's um, a couple of things I'm developing and that we've got money for, for the writer to write a, a draft of, but nothing in terms of me actually going out and shooting anything in the current sort of climate. Mm. But I think there's a little bit of waiting to be done in terms of how the government is going to support high end drama and films getting back on their feet because obviously yeah. insurance companies are currently they're not going to ensure production because if you know, there's a very 
large likelihood an actor or a key cast member could get COVID. So mm-hmm. we're in uncertain times. I feel very optimistic and I think, you know, it's worth saying if this is being watched during, during the, the, the pandemic, you know, I do feel that when things do get back up on their feet, you know, we've spent the last 12 weeks kind of binging and watching everything we can. There is going to be a huge void of content needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the, the streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, you know, Apple will have had a surge in subscriptions recently because people have, have been at home wanting to watch mm-hmm. things. So hopefully there'll be money from those people to make new content, which will mean opportunities for people coming into the industry at runner levels and all these things. So hopefully there will mm-hmm. be a, a brighter future down the line. And I think we just have to hold on basically and, and sort of, um, yeah, have hope that that will happen and it is coming. Amazing. Brilliant. That's a that's a great optimistic note to end on, Lewis. And well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope you know any of the filmmakers watching have found anything I've said useful. But um, but yeah, you know, it's it's an exciting industry to be a part of, and it is a struggle at times. But you know, there are great great people in this business, and um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, you've just got to stay the course and believe, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Where can people Very follow you if they want to learn more about your work? Uh, well, my work, I've got a website, lucearnold.co.uk, if people are interested in my short films, which was would be the bridge between, I suppose, making the leap from um, films to TV. So Echo and Charlie Says are on there, and I've sent some clips, and, and the guys might have added some clips into here. Uh, and then, obviously, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, uh, LewisAEA, um, as well, if, if anyone's interested in following I mean, I'm not a massive tweeter. I'm a big retweeter, but um, but yeah, I, I, I generally when a project's coming out, I will post little sort of videos. And I'd started doing a bit of um, in lockdown of sharing side by side. So like my process of showing thumbnails, relation to final images, and just starting to show my process because I get asked a lot about process and things from young filmmakers. So mm. yeah, there's a little bit more of that on there at the moment. Amazing, brilliant. Thank you both, and thank yeah, you thank for you. anyone uh, who's watched this. Yeah, yeah thank you for being a lot, here. Lewis. Remember to follow OSPD on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the OSPD uh, YouTube channel and go to OSPD.com for more in the frame content. See you all soon. Bye-bye. Right, thanks. Take care.